Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. You can find out more. Give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got a great show lined up for you today, including guests Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator and soon-to-be Senate uh, president. We'll visit with Boo Mortensen. We'll find out what's new with Boo right here on the Paradise Coast. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And Linda Harden, my wife, will be joining us as well. She's the author of Greetings from Paradise. It is March the 29th, and on this day in 1865, the final campaign of the Civil War began in Virginia when Union troops under Ulysses S. Grant moved against Confederate trenches around St. Petersburg, not St. Petersburg, Petersburg. General Robert E. Lee's outnumbered rebels were soon forced to evacuate the city and begin a desperate race west. Eleven months earlier, Grant moved his army across the Rapidan River in northern Virginia and began the bloodiest campaign of the war. For six weeks, Lee and Grant fought along an arc that swung east to the Confederate capital at Richmond. They engaged in some of the conflict's bloodiest battles at Wilderness, Spotsylvania, and Cold Harbor before settling into trenches for a siege of Petersburg, 25 miles south of Richmond. The trenches eventually uh, stretched all the way to Richmond, and during the ensuing months of the armies glorying at each other after uh, across the no-man's land, periodically Grant launched attacks against sections of the rebel defenses, but Lee's man- men managed to defend them off. Time was running out for Lee, though. His army was dwindling in the size of about 55,000. While Grant's continued to grow, the Army of the Potomac now had more than 125,000 men ready for service. On March the 25th, Lee attempted to split the Union lines when he attacked Fort Stedman, a stronghold along the Yankee trenches. His army was beaten back, and he lost nearly 5,000 men. On March 29th, Grant seized the initiative, sending 12,000 men past the Confederates' left flank and threatening to cut Lee's escape route from Petersburg. Fighting broke out there several miles southwest of the city. Lee's men could not arrest the Federal advance. On April the 1st, the Yankees struck the Five Forks, soundly defeating the rebels and leaving Lee no alternative. He pulled his forces from the trenches and raced west, followed by Grant. It was a race that led. Uh, the great Lee could not win the surrender. He surrendered his army on April the 9th. Uh, 1865 at Appomattox Courthouse. Stillness at Appomattox. That was the end of the Civil War. So let's take a look at the tea leaves on the economy. Uh, U.S. five-year and 30-year Treasury uh, yields on Monday inverted for the first time since 2006, raising fears of a possible recession. The yield on the five-year Treasury note rose to 2.56%, while the 30-year yield was 2.55%. It's the first time the shorter-dated five-year Treasury yield has risen above that of the longer-dated 30-year bond since 2006, just ahead of the global financial crisis. Historically, the yield curve is inverted prior to recessions, and indicating their concern about the health of the economy. Labor market data is one of the economic indicators used by the Fed to help guide its direction on monetary policy, so investors uh, will be keeping an eye on the employment report due out this week. In addition, the February Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, which is one of the measures of inflation, is due out uh, on Thursday. Another indicator, a recent survey by the University of Michigan found that consumer sentiment fell to a new decade-long low as concerns about inflation grew among the ongoing Russian invasion at Ukraine. The University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index, a monthly survey of how consumers feel about the economy, personal finances, business conditions, and buying conditions, ended March 22, 2022 at 59.4%, representing a 5.4% decline from the final reading of 62.8% in February and a 30% decline from index's reading of 84.9% one year ago in March. Wow. 
The end of March reading of 59.4% is down by 0.5% from what was already a decade-long low of 59.7% recorded in mid-March. The combination of rising prices and less positive income expectations meant that half of all households anticipated declines in inflation-adjusted incomes in the year ahead. So that's not good. And uh, the average rate, of course, on a 30-year fixed mortgage, as you could expect, shot significantly higher, raising 24 basis points to 4.95%, almost 5%, according to the Mortgage News Daily. The quicker-than-expected rise in rates has weighed on demand for mortgages and financing loans, with uh, both uh, rates and prices considerably higher. The median mortgage payment now is 20% higher than it was a year ago for the same mortgage. It couldn't come at a worse time at this point. The all-important spring housing market gets underway. Potential buyers are already facing extraordinarily tight supply and sky-high prices. So another indicated that the tea leaves are not looking so strong for the economy. In spite of that, uh, Joe Manchin says he might be up for another downsized program, a Build Back Better program. He opposed the nearly $2 trillion Build Back Better Act, citing uh, record inflation and other concerns. With the 2022 midterm elections drawing closer, Manchin signaled this week that he could support a new, more targeted version of Biden's sweeping spending bill. Manchin's uh, chairman of the Senate Natural Resources Committee reportedly told a group of climate activists he would like a new package to focus on prescription drugs, climate change, and reducing the deficit. His uh, support for a revised spending package has revived Democrat leaders' hope of passing the Build Back Better legislation. Progressive Democrats, however, previously opposed the skinnier version of the roughly $2 trillion package, which sets the stage for an internal party fight over a further reduced version of the bill. So I don't know how you actually spend money and reduce the best deficit. That's what he's asking for here. But uh, nevertheless, right now the Democrats are just demonstrating their tone deaf. You know, with all the things that are going on right now leading to the midterm elections, they're trying to figure out a new Build Back Better bill. It's just not going to fly. But Kamala Harris is coming to the rescue. She appeared on the Willie Moore Show this weekend to discuss soaring gas prices in the Biden administration infrastructure package. Boy, this is reassuring. Listen to this. Harris was asked about the soaring gas prices, and she delivered a word salad. How do we get to a solution for gas prices, the host asked Kamala. Well, gas prices are a record high, of course. Well, first of all, we've been, um, you know, understanding that it is a real issue. Um, and we have done is exactly has actually released some of the reserves, the petroleum reserves to bring down the cost of gas prices. And we're also dealing with the cost of gas is just part of the issue of the cost of living. Right. She said it's too expensive for too many people. That was a response. How profound. She also was asked about some words of uh, encouragement to Americans who are struggling. Now, if you're doing some hanging right now, listen to these words of encouragement. I would say, first of all, thank you for being a fighter, for knowing that we have reason to have faith in what is possible. But we have to work to make it achievable. And that includes what folks did to get out the vote in 2020, because that led to, and I think it's like this, people put their uh, order in and said, this is what I want. Do you feel encouraged? No, neither do I. But that's Kamala. I mean, <laughs> one is worse than the other, isn't it? It's just not believable. Well, a deep dive into discrepancies of the ballot counts of six key battleground states in the 2020 election has turned up more than 250,000 excess votes for President Joe Biden, maybe far more. The key point is the upcoming peer-reviewed study for the Journal of Public Choice uh, public choice by economist and noted gun expert John Lott is the uh, excess voting may challenge or explain Biden's margin of victory over the former President Donald Trump in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. In his report on the public choice website, but still awaiting final approval, Lott said that there were 255,000 excess votes and possibly as many as 368,000 for Biden in key states. And in a review of his statistical study, he provided real clear, clear politics. He said that Biden only carried these states uh, by 313,000 votes, and excluding Michigan, the gap would have been 159,000. 
He runs the Crime Prevention Research Center, said that his report was not meant to overturn the 2020 election, but to reinforce the need for changes to voter identification, absentee voting, and provisional ballots. The point of this work is to contest the 2020 election, but to point out, not to contest the election, but to point out that we have a real problem that needs to be dealt with. Americans must have confidence in future elections, he wrote. Well, that's true. And in the study, Lott reviewed voter registration rules, actual in-person voting counts, absentee voting, provisional ballots in counties where fraud had been alleged or suggested. He compared those counts to neighboring counties, arguing that the percentage should be similar. What he found was that uh, were major differences, raising questions of fraud. He found unexplained, unexplained votes, vast differences in absentee voting, and other problems such as bloated voter uh, lists and felon illegal, felons illegally voting. In Fulton County, Georgia, 2,423 voters were not listed on the state's records as registered, and 2,560 felons voted even though they had not completed their census, a lot said. He concluded the voter turnout rate the data provides strong evidence of significant excess Biden votes in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. The estimates imply that the counties who, uh, wherein vote fraud was alleged returned between 142,000 and 368,000 excess Biden votes. And while the findings report here are dramatic, they may be underestimates because the voter turnout estimates do not account for ballots cast for the opposing candidate that are lost, destroyed, or replaced with ballots filled out for the other candidate. And while it would involve a lot more work, it would be possible to apply the precinct-level test to compare turnout rates in adjacent precincts across the country where fraud is alleged, he said. The findings are likely to continue fueling questions raised by Trump supporters and former president himself that the election they saw going their way on election night turned out against them after midnight. So that's certainly count, count me in as one of those. Yesterday, Linda and I watched uh, the Tucker Carlson Today show. He interviewed uh, Wisconsin former Supreme Court Judge Michael Gableman, who was acted as special counsel in the state of Wisconsin to take a look at the uh, voter rolls and the election in 2020. And he, you have to see the interview. It is just astounding the amount of fraud that he uncovered and the uh, misapplication of justice in the entire process. He pointed out that, you know, we're supposed to be, we the people are responsible for the election, not the government itself. And there's been a lot of misgovernment, mismanagement. You just can't believe the story that you'll find in Wisconsin. If that's a, a sample of what we've experienced across the nation, we've got real problems with our election. We need to step in and get this fixed as soon as possible. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us our state senator and soon-to-be Senate president, Kathleen Pasadomo. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Kathleen. Uh, the session's winding up, and I see that uh, the the governor's signing some uh, signing some of the bills. Has he rejected, or has he not signed, or do you see any bills coming across the, uh, that uh, he may not sign? Well, uh, my, it's my understanding because he said it that uh, once the uh, constitutional map that the legislature passed during session hits his desk, he's going to veto it. Uh, he he his opinion is. Uh, position is that the, the map that we drew um, was is not constitutional, uh, but it's kind of tricky because the map that we drew is basically along the lines of the map that was drawn by the Supreme Court with mm. obviously a number of changes. So I think I think uh, Senate leadership and the, the, uh, the district committees are, are going to work with the governor to come up with something hopefully that he will accept and which means we'll be called into special session. Um, I'm not really part of that for, for reasons that I'm going to be Senate president, and it doesn't make sense for me to be involved in any map drawing because everybody's going to get sued. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I don't want to be. So anyway, there you have it. C- can you describe the differences between what you proposed and what the, uh, what the governor wants? Most of it, from what um, I've read in his comments, are the, the district near Jacksonville, uh, Congressman Lawson's district. Uh, the way we drew it, it was similar to actually basically what, what it looks like now. It's, it's kind of a long, windy district. Uh, and he he took that and, and chopped it up and made it a little bit more compact. There was a concern expressed that it would dilute the minority access. And uh, he's challenging that and the concept. He, he also, I believe, from what I've heard, he believes that the fair district amendment that the voters passed was um, unconstitutional. Um, and huh. also, uh, you know, I, I think he, he felt that the, the Supreme Court, when they made, made those maps uh, going back around 10 years ago, that they drew them gerrymandering, et cetera. So, you know, I, I think it'll be able to be worked out. Um, have a great deal of respect for his um, his thought process. Uh, we'll just have to uh, see what he does. If he vetoes it, we can come back in special session and draw another map. So if I understand correctly, uh, uh, what it sounds like to me is that uh, he believes the Supreme Court made a bad judgment on the previous uh, maps. That's right. And he's basically that's saying right. we want to correct past uh, harm that's been done and, and make and get things right. Yeah, that's 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 exactly. laudable. That's a that's a steep hill, though, isn't it? Um, yeah, but it, it's his right. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't have um, any veto power over the state or um, the the state maps, the House and the Senate maps. So those have been approved, and we're we're ready, you know, ready for election season with that. 
But with regard to the congressional map, it's his right to weigh in on it, whether to approve it or not. The only difference um, in in this case is very unusually so. He weighed in on it before he hit his desk by drawing his own map. Well, thank you for that, Kathleen. So uh, November 8th is going to sneak up on us pretty quickly. And, of course, that's the election day. I would imagine there's going to be primaries and so forth. Uh, and right now you're up for re-election, are you not? Yes. Um, my my seat, every senator and House member is up for re-election because of the redistricting. Ah. Um, I would have been up anyway. I uh, drew a four-year term, and I'll be... Uh, running in November. So, we, you know, we're starting to gear up. Hopefully I will not have a primary. Um, I can't imagine I'll be able to escape without a Democratic opponent because, you know, that's that's a goal that they have is to put somebody in every race, even in very conservative districts like uh, uh, Collier County. So uh, tell, can you share with us, give us a glimpse or of, of uh, you are got to be preparing right now for the worst, <laughs> for, for planning <laughs> your campaign. Uh, so what goes into that? What, what's, uh, what are your plans? Well, I have, um, as I have in my previous elections, I have a, a campaign consultant that I've hired, and uh, we're going to just start doing some fundraising. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very I'm lucky in that I have... A lot, a large number of friends and constituents who have, who want to see me reelected and have offered to help. So we'll we'll do some fundraisers, um, I, I, not too many because I hope I won't need to have a lot of money. But you know, campaigning is very expensive. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's also a little bit of a challenge in my role as incoming Senate president, I am responsible for the campaigns of everybody, oh. uh, all the Republicans that are running. So you know, I'm traveling all over the state at the same time as trying to be continue to be involved locally to help my colleagues who are running in more um, more difficult districts. So, you know, that's that's also a challenge and um, I'm tasked with raising raising money for the entire Senate campaigns. We have a committee called the FRSCC and uh, my job is to raise about forty million dollars for that, which will be used to um, uh, defend currently sitting Republican senators, and there are a few um, empty seats where people have been term limited out that we're going to be um, that we're going to be challenging. Yeah, so that's, that's going to be my summer. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we do have term limits here. So, uh, do you have an estimate or how many seats really are uh, battleground type seats uh, going into the? Yeah, we do. Well, so right now, <laughs> Florida Senate has forty members. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have twenty four Republicans. Um, I'm bound to turn come back for 27. Great. <laughs> That's a lofty goal, but um, there are there's we have uh, uh, one seat in Miami, uh, Senator Tadeo, who's running for uh, governor. That seat will be vacant, and so we are going to take a look at that seat. Uh, there's also a new seat up in. Uh, a lot, like I think it's like Brevard, St. Lucie County, and we have someone running in that seat. The challenging seats are going to be uh, Tampa. Uh, they they're they're fairly blue, but we feel we have a great message to tell, and so we have a really good candidate that's going to run in that seat. And Leon County, which is where Tallahassee is, uh, has typically been a, um, a Democrat-leaning district. Uh, it still is, but. It's gotten a little bit larger, and so we have a really, really quality candidate that we're talking to about running in that in that district. So it's going to be it's going to be a challenge, but um, you know we're, we're looking forward to. We're excited about it. We really believe that Governor DeSantis has done so many um, really uh, critically important things for the state, and is widely popular. And I and I, I think that will help in our initiatives. You know, everybody talks about a red wave. We're hoping it's a, it's a red tsunami. Absolutely, uh, Kathleen. Is uh, is when is the date that people have to file? Um, the it's uh, June. Let's see. I think it's around June 19th. I don't even know the exact date. Yeah, that, well, so uh, there's some time. Some, some things going to happen between now and then. So, Yeah, well, just don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kathleen Fasadomo, our state senator. I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Thank you, and have a great day. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Boo Mortensen. It's time to find out what's new with Boo. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples' only vitality and longevity practice where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com. Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. New play right now. It's getting rave reviews. I hope you'll visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org, in order to get tickets. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now, it's time to find out what's new with Boo, Boo Mortensen, right here on the Paradise Coast. Boo, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here early in the morning. Uh, this is the this is men behaving badly. Two examples. One is the Chris Rock Will Smith thing. What if you had been? What What do you think of Will Smith's behavior? Well, now, for our listeners' benefit that don't know what we're talking about, this, of course, relates to the Oscars, which I think was held Sunday night, if I'm not mistaken, Saturday night. I'm not sure. I didn't watch it. Did you? Oh, heavens no. <laughs> it's it's so, who cares? Yeah. So, know, somebody gets an award. Who cares? Do you get an award for doing a good job? No. Give me a break. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, th- this happened uh, during the Oscars. Apparently, uh, Chris Rock made a, a comment, what could, could consider it a joke, but a comment that uh, uh, Will Smith didn't take uh, lightly. And uh, he went up on stage and slapped... Uh, uh, Chris Rock, and then Chris basically Rock, it yeah. said, "Hey, don't you know what you don't watch what you say about my wife?" Something like that. Anyhow, so uh, what do I think about it? What I think is the ratings are so bad for that uh, program right now. I think it was staged. I think they did it on purpose. I mean, he was back there laughing before it occurred. I saw videos, uh, segments of it, and so he was laughing backstage when he Chris Rock made the comment. And then he went up and slapped him and was offended by it. So to me, it looked like it was all state. Well, and by the way, what was he doing just off stage anyhow? Oh, my. Well, that's that's an interesting spin on it. I, I just think it's unacceptable behavior. I don't think that, uh, you know, going and hitting someone, hitting them or slapping them is, I think that's the poorest way of, of solving an issue. Oh, if you don't like what someone says on national TV or at any time, 
you don't go in and slug them. Yeah, you. I hand- think if they wanted to go, if they weren't on camera, go out in the parking lot and be, you know, beat the living daylights <laughs> out of each other. Who you know, but one of the things you learn early on when you're a kid, if you're fortunate, is keep your hands to yourself, right? I mean, yeah, that's not how you solve problems. The adults don't hit each other. That's just not how we do it. I mean, we we get good lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but, you know, you you talk it through, you say something, you know, use your words. For God's sakes, he's an actor. Right. Use your words. Don't go in wailing on somebody. I think it was, I think he's a poor role model yep. for his kids. I think that it's another example of some entitled person out of control. Yep. I, I just don't like it. I found it really, you know... Losers do that. Well, and, and you know, and, and I think since then he has apologized. Uh, but I wonder, too little, too late. Well, it, you it, know, why don't they just dump the Oscars? Who yeah, cares? I, I agree with that. It's but the point, you know, quite frankly, that Will Smith is idolized by a lot of people, and unfortunately, that kind of behavior. It's it's tacit approval of, of that kind of behavior to solve problems. Yes. I think it's just really, really wrong. What he did, I don't care what his motivation was, whether it was a, a fake or not, it's just a bad example for young people to see how uh, Will Smith decided to handle the situation. I just don't like it. Well, and then if it was scripted, then, then you had a lot of people in the decision-making that that was the right thing to do during... Uh, a nationally televised show yeah. in in hopes of uh, rebounding their ratings. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> even worse. It certainly is. Well, uh, well the, the other thing that I think is is strange is Biden's nine word sentence. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. Yeah, is he unhinged? He uh, well, responsible. Yeah, I mean he. Is, He's basically, uh, he, it was walked back by the administration. And everything. And well, you know what? The, what's really sad about this entire thing, and of course he said other things too, like, uh, you know, uh, Putin shouldn't uh, be in power. He said that uh, troops are going to go over to Ukraine. He said a lot of stuff that uh, had to be walked back uh, on that trip. Unfortunately, what he said is that, look, uh, you're, you're taking it out of context. He didn't take responsibility for it, is what I'm trying to say. He basically said, hey, you, know, you took it all wrong. I, I just mean that I, was, I feel the sense of rage that Putin somehow can be doing this, and he shouldn't be doing it, but that's not policy. You know, uh, this guy, he's, it's just embarrassing that he's our leader on the international stage. I just can't believe that people are... The sad thing is that he's he's actually representing the United States of America. I agree, and not well. No, I no. His staff is trying to cover up and make excuses for it, but he's not. He no. even said, "I'm not apologizing for that. That's my personal moral outrage of what he's doing." Well, you know that's fine and good, but this is an age of of uh, nuclear weapons, unfortunately. Yeah. And you know, I think negotiating and trying to get him out of Ukraine. I mean, it's a del- delicate balance. Yeah. Of diplomacy, and this, and then he goes firing off his mouth. Do you think he helped anything? See, here's the thing. He he certainly has the right to have those personal feelings and feel a sense of moral exactly. outrage. But he is the president of the United States, and he has no right behaving in that way as our president of the United States. His role is to lead and to uh, to be consistent on policy. He needs, you know, his messages, he needs to say on message, stay on message for whatever the circumstances might be to, to prevent confusion. What he did is create confusion and... Uh, and what's really sad, again, he could have said, you know, I had, I, I was feeling a sense of moral outrage. I had no business saying that. And I, uh, I apologize to the American people and to people around the globe for misleading people on, on where we stand. He didn't do that. He, and he should have. Yes, he should have. And he's not. No. It, it's, it's, you know, I'll tell you something. You wake up in the morning and you think... Can this stuff really be happening? I uh, know. To me, I, I heard, I read one columnist who described uh, his behavior as malignant n- narcissism. So the question raised was: Is this because he's losing his mental capacity, or is it because he's a, a liar, which he's been, you know, all of his career? You go back in the plagiarism and all the things that have happened uh, since he 
uh, started his career in the Senate. And uh, basically, uh, he makes a good case for the fact that malignant narcissism, he's just basically, there's only one truth, and that's his truth. And whatever he sees and whatever he says is the way things are. He doesn't have the capacity to understand that his situation is just part of the big picture. That's, that's malignant narcissism. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah, it is scary indeed. Yeah. I know. How do we get ourselves it, in this position, Boo? I, you know what? I, you know, you wake up one day, you look at the stuff on the news, and, and don't you say to yourself, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> yes. I mean, how many times do you say, you got to be kidding me? I know. You just Crazy. keep. You can't make this stuff up. It's just unbelievable. Boo Mortson, just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Have a great week, Boo. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist in a society's scope and sphere of influence of government, and we're outnumbered. For sure, but it's a fight. It's a fight worth fighting. So, we keep yes. up the good work. So, Seton, you wrote a great piece. Russia, Ukraine is irrelevant to the United States, but a great excuse for DC to stop doing anything relevant. <laughs> the question is, have they done anything relevant in the last twenty years? But get, tell us about it. Well, you know, the only bill they've managed, the House has managed to pass in the last month plus since. Russia started is the House wants to legalize marijuana. Mm -hmm. That's their big contribution to society um, since Russia started. Uh, now I'm against it. You can be for it, whatever. But you know, it, it, do we really want to look at society and say the thing we really the, the thing we need to prioritize is putting more people in a stupor? <laughs> um, that being said, there are a lot of things that need to get done. Yeah. You know, the, just because they ignore them doesn't mean they go away. Um, uh, 
I used is big tech has been utterly unregulated in how it collects and sells access to our data. Right. They figured out way at the beginning of the Internet that the, that the coin of the realm on the Internet is our digital data. And by the time anyone else figured it out, in Congress for sure, they were so big that they've been successfully lobbying to prevent any privacy legislation to pass at all. Mm-hmm. And now, unfortunately, because things do need to be done, the states are getting into the mix. And we don't want this. Look, I'm as, I'm as big a federalism person as there is on the planet. But there are certain things that are the federal purview. We've got an international World Wide Web, obviously. Mm-hmm. We need a simple national policy on our portion of the Internet so it can seamlessly mesh with the rest of the world. Having a patchwork quilt of 46 privacy laws and 42 net neutrality laws that are all have different levels of regulation, one hamstrings our domestic companies because they have to waste all that time and money, you know, modulating their activities state to state when an electron passes over state lines in nanoseconds. And then, two, of course, it doesn't work with the World Wide Web because you've got this mess. It's, you know, I'm a retired musician. I always refer to well, the, the joking name of my band in high school was a mess of cords and wires because mm-hmm. you just had this, you know, this snake's nest of, uh, you know, this, this bird's nest of all these cords wrapped up on top of each other right. and around each other and through each other. And that's what our Internet will look like when the rest of the world comes calling because you've got this these state regulations on privacy and these state regulations on net neutrality, and it just is a mess. Yeah. So there are it, now four states that have passed privacy laws. Now. One of them is Florida, is it not? What? One of them is Florida, is it not? Uh, yes. Florida, New York, Utah just passed one, and California. Yeah. Now, California is so huge, of course, that they move the needle all by themselves at least for a little while longer, until their entire economy collapses. Right. But they passed an actual, I think, too harsh privacy law. And big tech hates it, but so do any, so does everyone else that collects any data at all. It's not just the big tech companies that collect data. Um, and even the, even the big tech companies you don't think collect data, collect data, like Amazon, who makes a ton of money selling stuff, uh, collects data and then uses it. Um, Apple collects a ton of data and uses it, even though they charge you $1,500 for a phone. Um, and, and, but then it's also, look, the Internet providers collect a tidy fraction of the data big tech companies do. Uh, and and it's, just, it's too onerous in California. However, in the other states, big tech has successfully lobbied to so water down the laws mm. that they're completely pointless and useless anyway. Now, again, I don't want the states doing this, but what the states are trying to do, and one of the things they're trying to do, is provide enough of a groundswell up, you know, upward impetus to get Congress off its keister and pass a privacy law. Yeah. And, of course, big tech views that as, okay, if you're going to, if that's the objective, we're going to water down all these laws so that if and when Congress does get involved, they're looking at a bunch of ineffectual laws that benefit us because we, you know, they, they're the most engaged in what they call surveillance capitalism, which is they collect your data, they watch you, they collect your data, and then they sell access to it. And, of course, big tech's the biggest beneficiary, so they're the ones most active by far yeah. in watering down these bills and making sure they don't actually regulate anything. So what's what's the solution? See, I mean, uh, it seems to me the horse is out of the barn on this issue because <laughs> because there, our data has been sold so much anyhow. But uh, is there a rule or is there a law that we could make that would protect us? Well, there is us? a way to do it. Yeah, I think that, I think over the past ten years or so, there have been decent bills that have been put forward that you know are are effective without being too heavy handed. And they just die. They don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. A congressman or a senator files something. He may get ten, a dozen co-sponsors, and then big tech, as soon as it, 
Big Tech does to privacy legislation what it did to Parler. Remember what it did to oh, Parler? Oh, yeah, absolutely. As soon as Parler posed a threat to the big tech companies, the big tech companies colluded and killed it. Yep. And they, they do once, – once a, once a privacy bill of any substance looks like it's getting anywhere in Congress, big tech gets together and kills it. Hmm. Or waters it down beyond all recognition. So, so you're not for you're not for getting rid of uh, Section 230 protection. You're for just not. No, be- I am for getting rid of Section 230. Okay, good. So that's that's a that's a that's a, that's a separate thing. That's liability protection for third party content. That yeah. has nothing to do with the data you collect. Okay, so third party content is comments on web pages and that and you know videos on YouTube and that sort of thing. So the solution yes, is I'm all for getting rid of that. So the fact, so- Kathy McMorris Rogers has had just basically quoted the policy I've been pushing for a long time. If you're worth over 500 billion dollars market cap, you lose section 230 protection. I would like to get rid of it completely because it's completely unnecessary and total cronyism. Right. But I'm, I'm, you know, we we, we got to start somewhere. Right. And Kathy McMorris Rogers didn't give numbers, but she came out and said, "I think the big tech companies certainly should not have Section 230 protection." And I went, "Oh, hallelujah! Somebody's somebody's paying attention and knows what's going on." So, you know, we're seeing, ink, you know, shoots of grass maybe yeah. uh, towards. A rational internet policy, but you know, as bad as Europe is and as heavy-handed as Europe is, and I think a lot of their privacy legislation goes too far. Uh, it's certainly they're more pro, they're more active than we are, hmm. and have actually accomplished things that we haven't even begun to accomplish here. Wow, Seton Motley again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit the website lessgovernment.org. Also, you can visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always a pretty, it's so interesting commentary. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Linda Harden. She writes Greetings from Paradise. If you're not familiar with Greetings from Paradise, uh, I, there's a pull-down tab on my website uh, that has... Linda's past uh, column, so she's going to be our next guest. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of f***ing with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, proudly serving on their board 
And among other things, they create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Linda Harden, my wife. She also is the author of Greetings from Paradise. Again, you can find uh, all of her past columns on the pull-down tab on my website, where uh, Greetings from Paradise is the name of the tab. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Greetings from Paradise is dead, by the way. Well, it's not dead. It, not in our hearts and not in our <laughs> minds. It's st- still existing. So, uh, well, first of all, I understand that there's some breaking news on the election on election fraud front. Um, it's so great. First of all, I, it was so interesting to watch uh, Tucker Carlson today last night. Oh, and, yeah. And, and that um, former Judge Gableman out of, out of Wisconsin who who thought there was something wrong with the 2020 election right from the beginning, but he was, he's on a personal mission to find out and he's found out. Well, it goes further. The total atrocities of what's gone on in Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was appointed as special counsel uh, by the legislature to uh, take a look at the situation. The more he peeled the onion, the worse it got. It just was, you could tell how frustrated he was about uh, what he discovered was, you, you just can't make up the stuff that he discovered with, well, with regard and, to fraud. And, it, and it's, you, can't, you can't tamper with elections like Mark Zuckerberg did. You yeah. can't. And, and the almost $400 million that, um, that, that Zuckerberg poured into just Wisconsin alone and in tr- tampering with the election is criminal. Yeah, it is criminal. And uh, uh, literally, they, they've had people in charge of the election that were cronies of Zuckerberg, and they, you know, they just basically ran things the way they wanted it to do. I just encourage, and I'm sure you feel the same way, we encourage our listeners to uh, watch Tucker Carlson today and watch the Michael Gableman uh, interview, former uh, Supreme Court Justice in uh, Wisconsin and now special counsel. What he's uncovered is just absolutely criminal. And that's just not the only thing, but there's other things that are going on as well. Well, just to have to say that that hour-long interview with Tucker I, I couldn't believe the hour had gone by. I, I mean, know. It, it was just yeah. it was just incredible and so informative, and and he was so passionate about it because here's a guy who's obviously served a justice, served in the law, and uh, to to find out uh, what he discovered in terms of Wisconsin elections, and I'm sure this is I'm sure that's just a sample of what's happened across the country. Well, what's happening and what what we while we were watching Tucker Carlson today, we skipped the second hour of of Bannon, the battleground, and that's totally devoted to election fraud. And <clears throat> this gal from um, Pennsylvania, they've been canvassing the vote about about the vote in 2020. And they found in Allegheny County alone that 73% of the, the canvases that they took had no connection to reality. In other words... Um, they're fictional. They, they're the, fictional. The, uh, the votes were fictional. 73%. Now, Allegheny, that would be in... In Pennsylvania? Yes. Okay. Yes, and then and the other big news is coming out is that um, uh, the Attorney General in Arizona finally got uh, some cojones and and um, is demanding that that all this information about the election fraud be be brought forth and investigated and and the and the people who were fighting it have finally said, okay, we'll cooperate. Right, you know, they, they, he subpoenaed the information. Uh, he canceled a meeting tomorrow, I think it is, or this week. Uh, to because the subpoena has been answered, so now they have the information. We'll see where this all goes. You know, m- it's hard to believe. We thought, at least I thought, uh, the evidence of fraud was so clear that within weeks after the election, this would all become clear. But it's taken a long, long while for this all to happen. It's well, pro- well. Oh, by the way, how how many years have elections been stolen? I know. How how long have they been? And and oh, by the way, that Michael Gableman last night said not only was Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. Uh, connected with it, but who else? George Soros. George Soros, indeed. So we need to uh, get our act together. We need to make sure that our elections are protected. One of the things he pointed out yesterday is that the the government is not in charge of the elections. The people are. The government can help facilitate, but uh, we need to make sure that our elections are protected. And how it starts with like a personal identification, you have to prove who you are. Number one and number you have two. to prove who you are to get a vaccination. I know, <laughs> which that's a whole nother topic. I know, <laughs> but uh, in addition to that, uh, you, you need to uh, prove that uh, you, you you need to qualify for voting, and uh, if in order for my vote and your vote to count, 
we have to make sure that people that have no right to vote aren't voting. The other thing that was brought up on Trump's uh, uh, rally on Saturday night was because he did the rally in Georgia, and that was the ballot harvesting that has taken place, which is turning out to be a huge, huge uh, uh, corrupt um, right. event, a- too. I mean, it, it's huge. And, and oh, by the way, uh, the governor, the current governor of, of um, Georgia, and I can't, I can't remember his name right now, but and the Secretary of State were... Raffensperger. Raffen, Raffensperger were eyeballs deep in this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not ch- to change the topic, uh, but uh, I'm going to change the topic. And uh, uh, It's your show. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. So uh, Biden was uh, on the international stage this weekend, and he made statements like, hey, uh, uh, Putin can't be in the job anymore. You know, he's... Uh, uh, he can't be in power anymore. And, and, but they, the thing is, he made gaffes that are just unbelievable on the international stage, changing or questioning or calling, making all of us scratch our heads and wonder about our international policy with regard to a number of things, chemical weapons and so forth. And uh, he, he came, in the press conference yesterday, he basically said, hey, you know what? I'm not changing my, what I said at all. Well, he just said they didn't exist. Yeah. The, the, he never walked back anything that... The, that uh, Peter Ducey from Fox News said um, he brought up the three specific things that the the soldiers he was talking to um, uh, were going to go to Ukraine. That that um, they're going to respond in kind of to chemical to weapons. chemical weapons, and then the one that that Putin um, cannot be in power any longer. And uh, Peter Ducey says, "Well, you said those three things." He says, "Those three things." Biden says, "Those three things did not occur." All that I mean, I told you this off air. It is a stark reality, mm-hmm. and the and the media, whether they like it or not, are bringing forth the fact that Biden doesn't know what he's doing. The White House, um, the secretary, the Secretary of State, within minutes of of Biden saying some of these things, came out and said, "Well, that's you know, we've been perfectly clear that that we're not we're not going to use chemical weapons at any time, that we're not going to have forces in Ukraine, blah blah blah." I mean. They're not telling Biden they walked it back. And, you know, what's interesting, so the question to you I'd ask is, should uh, we invoke uh, impeachment or the 25th Amendment when uh, well, it's Biden? Well, you know, the 25th Amendment is, is, should have been invoked because he's, 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 got the, he's got the nuclear football in his possession. I know. Which is frightening. And, and when he, they were showing, I don't know on what show last night, that oh, I think it was Tucker, um, Tucker Carlson tonight, where they showed his his spurts of anger. What will he do in a spurt of anger? I mean, it's, it's, it's frightening. The 25th Amendment should have been invoked six months ago, but then we have Kamala Harris, who's, who is equally deaf, dumb, and blind, and, and a total idiot. <laughs> I just can't believe that we're in the situation we're in right now internationally. We've survived a lot. I hope we can survive this, too. Hopefully we make it to the midterm elections. We have the Red tsunami. I'm not even going to call it the I, red. You know what? I can't even. I can't even get to that because I know. so much has to happen. By the way, um, until we, like Trump said, and like so many other people that we watch say, um, until we fix the 2020 election, we can't even think about uh, uh, the election in November. Uh, I mean, well, they, what did Tucker say? What did that Gableman say last night? That that they're already doubling down and trying to do it again. Uh, absolutely. So uh, the point is that uh, this information is all coming to the head. And I do believe that once one state says that we are decertifying our election results, once one state does it, I think the others will get the kahunas to go ahead and do it themselves. And I think that could lead to a Supreme Court challenge of the election results for uh, electing President Biden. And we'll be in a constitutional crisis, but I would call it a good one. I, I just I just think that that there's so much. Bannon has has is saying this like every week now, but he says there's there's like a year's worth of news in in one week these days. Everything happens now with these new Hunter Biden um, admissions that have come out. That that the New York Times said the the laptop from hell is real. Um, the more the mainstream media tries to cover they, it up they are if they're not covering it they're just not even they're not even saying anything well, about they're, it they're, they're covering it up and, and the more they lose viewers and and they do stupid things like um have will smith club chris rock at the at the <laughs> at the oscars to try and distract they're desperate they they're are. desperate to try because the news is out there they and is. and um people are flocking to news 
stations like Real America's Voice, One American News, and now they're trying to to. I don't I don't get how these people can be so stupid as oh let's see how much more we can se- censor because the American people are really stupid you know, they won't notice it. You know, what I find the statistics I find so interesting is that the most popular show among Democrats uh, ages uh, eighteen to fifty four is the Tucker Carlson show, <laughs> which is, I so think, yeah, speaks, speaks, uh, speaks volumes. Linda, I always appreciate your commentary on the show. You're welcome. Thank you so much for yeah. joining us. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow we're going to visit with Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Andy Joppa. Andy is the uh, is a professor. He's also the author of Josephus of Oz. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>